This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. Voluntary principle states that all human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. This podcast aims to promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. Do you want to know how to achieve a free society? Then read my second book, Toward a Free Society, a short guide on building a culture of liberty. You may download the book for free at everythingvoluntary.com or purchase it in paperback at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Uh, Before we start the episode, I want to invite you to join me as a featured guest. I'd love to chat and get to know you and give you this platform to bounce your ideas around. To schedule, go to the main website at everythingvoluntary.com. On the right-hand side, there's a link to schedule with me immediately. Click that link, select a day and time, answer the questions, and submit. That's all it takes. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It is December 31st, 2020. This is it. The last day of the year. Um, Just a quick comment. I really like what my uh, guest in the last episode said about New Year's, uh, Anderson Silver. He, he advised. Uh, correctly so, I think, that when you look back at this year, it's important to to just look at it as something that happened. Okay, It didn't happen to you. It wasn't personal. It just happened. Now, a lot of other people had a more challenging year in 2020 than I did. And it's very easy to take to take that experience and make your life even harder. Or you can take that experience and make your life better. And I think it starts with recognizing that these things happened and pull what lessons you can out of each of them. If it means save more money so that you have a nice fat nest egg when shit hits the fan, then work on that in 2021. If it means put more food storage away, emergency supplies and whatnot, then do that in 2021. If it means adding some passive income or some side hustle to your life in order to help you, you know, maybe save more or at least have something that you can do if something happens with your main income, do that in 2021. If it means venturing out and finding some new skills uh, working towards some either a currently applicable or not certifications, work on that in 2021. So in other words, use 2020, right? Comb through 2020 and find where things were the most challenging and then, and then figure out what you can do in 2021 to prevent those challenges, right? Because, you know, a lot of places thankfully, learn the lesson, seem to have learned the lesson that lockdowns don't work and that they're very destructive otherwise. Some places like California still haven't learned that lesson. They're locking down harder and they're 
um, their problem is getting worse. Whereas you have places like Utah, Texas, Florida, a lot of other places that are that have backed off significantly and things are fine, right? It, you know, people are even feel like maybe we're back to normal in some of those places, right? They're going to theaters, they're going to the shows, they're going to comedy clubs, they're going to restaurants, they're, you know, they're, they're living life. In other places, they're not and things are worse. Okay, I think I think that the lockdown science paints a pretty unclear picture about the effectiveness of lockdowns, which which rationally suggests that there is no lockdown science. <laughs> so, you know, maybe uh, the powers that be will take the many different lessons from 2020, and in the future they will govern better, which which really means govern less. Okay, let's uh, look at some Liberty quotes. I've got four of them pulled up here. This first one was shared by my friend, Aaron White, who's been on the podcast a few times. Uh, he shared it a while ago, and I remember copy-pasting it in my notes for when we get to this episode. And it's by Bertrand Russell, who was, uh, I think, some sort of sociologist, um, you know, last century. And it's from his book, Freedom and the Colleges. He writes, or he wrote, The fundamental difference between the liberal and the illiberal outlook is that the former regards all questions as open to discussion and all opinions as open to a greater or less measure of doubt, while the latter holds in advance that certain opinions are absolutely unquestionable and, what no, and that no argument against them must be allowed to be heard. What is curious about this position is a belief that if impartial investigation were permitted, it would lead men to the wrong conclusion, and that ignorance is therefore the only safeguard against error. This point of view is one which cannot be accepted by a man who wishes reason rather than prejudice to govern human action. This, um, that's the end of the quote, this is yet more food for thought on the theme of science and politics and dogma. Right. And this, this was, I mean, he wrote this a while ago, but this was obviously some kind of problem then and as much as it is now. The difference between the liberal and the illiberal outlook is that the former regards all questions as open to discussion and all opinions as open to a greater or lesser measure of doubt, while the latter holds in advance that certain opinions are absolutely unquestionable. That ignorance about how these opinions were formed and where they come from is preferable to investigation in order to confirm them, right? Because if, if you allow for investigation, then people will come up with what has already been predetermined as the wrong conclusion. And I really like his point at the end. He's not shooting on you. He's not obligating anybody. He just says, look, this point of view cannot rationally be accepted by a man or a woman, a person who wishes reason rather than prejudice to govern human action. It is unreasonable. The illiberal outlook is simply unreasonable. And you see it. You see it all over the place these days. You see it on college campuses. They don't let you talk about certain things, right? They don't allow certain people to come to campus and give their speeches or their guest lectures, right? They're protested. They're shouted down. They're, they're simply prohibited from, from doing it. They're silenced. Right. There's, there's sort of that front of this problem. The other front is, of course, with the state. It's in government. It's when there's seemingly a crisis and politicians, they're not, 
they're not experts on anything. They won, they won a popularity contest. They're, they're experts in charisma. They're experts in public speaking, maybe, right? Maybe they had a career as a lawyer and they did some stuff. Maybe they had a career as, I don't know, very rarely, but some of them, you know, have been entrepreneurs and have some expertise in those areas. But when some crisis hits, like a, a novel coronavirus, these politicians don't know anything, right? They're not virologists. They're not epidemiologists. They're not economists. And they tend to, to find some favored voices that say things that they like to hear, right? They tell them that they tell them, they give them advice um, in ways that they can use. Okay, don't, don't tell me to stand back and do nothing and just let this virus take its course, right? And they can't, they can't believe that that's good advice for, for different reasons, both, both personally and because it's going to be unpopular. And if it's unpopular and their name's attached to it, then they're going to, they're going to either be recalled, if that is something in, in, a, in a particular jurisdiction, or they're, they're going to not, uh, they're going to hurt their own reelection chances, right? So, so everybody, obviously, everybody thinks selfishly. So do politicians. So, you know, you go to some set of experts and they're not experts in everything, right? You go to virologists and they tell you about the virus and they say, you know, many, you know, many, many, probably most would give the advice along the order of, you know, we need, you know, we need to figure out who this affects, who's the most vulnerable and those people should be protected. And that's it. If a virologist says anything about locking down society, they are clearly speaking out of school. That's not the purview of the virologist or the epidemiologist or the physician. That's the purview of economists and political scientists and things like that. And even and even then, Paul Krugman was was who's a Nobel laureate, a columnist, a economist, and columnist for the New York Times has been writing about how we need more lockdowns. Right? He's always taking the big government option, always. So even then, there's no guarantee you're going to get any any uh, any sense. You're going to have disagreement. Is my point? Experts disagree. Even the most well-qualified experts disagree, and that's fine. There should be disagreement. Science should be full of disagreement, right? The idea of consensus and the science is settled, that's not science. It's really not. And when it comes to marrying science with politics because some politician thinks he has to, quote, do something, then science becomes dogma. It becomes illiberal. It becomes prejudice. It becomes... In many ways, and this is not to impugn religion, but it becomes religion. And that's what politics is. Okay, let's go to the next one. Okay, this next one was shared at some point over Reddit, and I just copied the direct link. So I don't have the original post, which is fine. But I have, I've, I have some, some problems with it. This is by Thomas Jefferson. There's, there's a big part of me that likes this, and then there's a part of me that doesn't. So he, he wrote, or he said, I don't know, but he, he wrote, if a law is unjust, a man is not only right to disobey it, he is obligated to do so. All right, so that, that's it. It's a short quote. I don't know where he's pulling this obligated out of, right? This, this idea that we're assigning obligations to people is, in my opinion, an incredibly dangerous idea, incredibly foolish one too, and an irrational one. It really depends on a person's goals, right? I don't, I don't believe that there's any unchosen obligations, right? Just because Thomas Jefferson writes this, you know, this, this really um, beautiful sounding and brilliant quote, it doesn't just make, doesn't just mean that it's true. It doesn't just mean that we are 
thus obligated. So I, I like, I really like the part, and I agree with this. If a law is unjust, a person is not only right to disobey it, so that part. If a law is unjust, we are absolutely well within our rights. We are at liberty to simply ignore it. I wouldn't even say disobey, right? I don't think you can disobey a law that doesn't apply. And any law, okay, any any positive legislated government created law is inapplicable. There's no evidence that they applied it to anybody. We talk about I talk about this all the time. So you can't disobey an inapplicable law. If it's inapplicable, it doesn't apply to you, then you're just going along minding your business. You're not disobeying the law. And if 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 this kind of law on top of that is also unjust, right? Like it's just a really bad law. It's not a law that just simply prohibits aggression, crime, but it's some sort of law that says you can't use your property in some way or you must uh, you must pay somebody or some group of people some amount of money um, and you're compelled to do that by force, then these, these are obviously unjust. So obviously Thomas Jefferson is assuming jurisdiction. He's assuming applicability and he's saying if these are bad laws, then we're right to disobey them. So I have agreements with that as far as it goes. But this part about how we might be obligated to disobey them, I, I kind of like that. I like it. But I've got to acknowledge that it's pulled out of thin air. We're not obligated to we're not obligated to to do what we can't even do. That doesn't make any sense. We can't disobey unjust laws if they don't even apply to us. What we can do is we can um we can use our faculties to to point out and to explain why a law is unjust and, and do what we can to convince other people to also ignore the law. And there might be more or less effective ways of doing that. Most other people probably probably accept uh, that the law in question does apply to them. They would be mistaken, but they accept it. They believe it. So now you, your job is to point out why it's unjust and how we can get rid of it primarily by ignoring it and by making it un- unenforceable. Okay. All right. Let's go on to the next one. All right. The next one was, it was a quote shared by Jacob Hornberger. He shared it at the top of his Future of Freedom Foundation newsletter a couple days ago. And it it was written by Francis Mahaffey back in September 1963. And it was part of an essay that was published in the Foundation for Economic Education's uh, Freeman magazine titled Social Justice, right? So it's all about this idea of social justice, which is which is very in vogue, right, in 2020 and, and the last five years or so. But it's not a, it's not a new idea. This comes from quite a while ago, right, 1963, this guy's talking about it. So this quote I thought was pretty good. It kind of stands on its own. It's a much larger art essay, and I will link to that. But here's the quote. Some feel that the idea of justice is a cold, heartless concept. They want the state to produce social and economic justice as well. They want justice to include a more equal distribution of the goods of this world. They want charity and sympathy to be affected by the power of the law. In the process of broadening the meaning of justice to include these political activities, real justice is destroyed. The use of force to take from some to give to others is the very opposite of justice. Economic equality or economic redistribution cannot be affected by force apart from an unequal and thus unjust treatment of individual citizens. When this becomes the policy of the state, 
justice no longer prevails. The adjective social destroys the noun justice. All right, like I said, it's a much broader article, uh, but that was that was the bit that was that was cropped out, and I really like that. So you know, let, let's do this. I want to do this. Let's look up just a mainstream definition of social justice. Let's see what it says. Social justice from Wikipedia. Social justice is the relation of balance between individuals and society measured by comparing distribution of wealth differences from personal liberties to fair privilege opportunities. In Western as well as in older Asian cultures, the concept of social justice is often referred to the process of ensuring that individuals fulfill their societal roles and receive what was their due from society. In the current global grassroots movements for social justice, the emphasis has been on the breaking of barriers for social mobility, the creation of safety nets, and economic justice. Social justice assigns rights and duties in the institutions of society, which enables people to receive the basic benefits and burdens of cooperation. The relevant institutions often include taxation, social insurance, public health, public school, public services, labor law, and regulation of markets to ensure fair distribution of wealth and equal opportunity. All right, that's that's from Wikipedia. This is a very, for the um, nearly totally ignorant... <laughs> This is a very attractive notion, right? Who wouldn't want um, fair privilege opportunities, right? And, and there's even part of it I agree with, right? Um, the part about personal liberties, right? If social justice is this also this, this much larger fight to reduce political oppression and, and increasing of the protection of personal liberties, then, hey, I'm a social justice warrior too. Unfortunately... It's not just that. And we, we have a name for that already, right? It's, it's the libertarian. That's what libertarianism is. That's what libertarians seek to do. That's the whole libertarian movement is decreasing government oppression, the size and so, scope of the state, and increasing personal liberties. Or we could call them human rights. We could call them property rights. It's all the same thing. Um, but the way that social justice goes about is through taxation right? Which is theft. It's wrong. Social insurance. I mean, look, insurance is fine. There's nothing wrong with insurance unless it's compelled. Public health, public school, public services, right? How are these provided? Well, they're provided through coercion and aggression, right? So they they create injustice in order to create social justice. Labor law and regulation of markets to ensure fair distribution of wealth. What's fair distribution of wealth? Who decides? And what is the mechanism of, of what is the mechanism from which the wealth is distribution? What is regulation of markets? What is labor law? It's third parties coercively interfering in the relationships of other people. That's what it is, right? If you come in and coercively interfere with how I do business with somebody, anybody, you are, you're, you're attacking both of us, right? That's, that's a crime. That's assault because you're threatening us. You're threatening us with harm. To, to either to take our property or to take our liberty, to throw us in jail. You cannot create justice. You cannot ensure justice by committing acts of aggression against peaceful people. So this guy from 1963 is absolutely right. Social destroys justice. Social justice. It's an oxymoron. It's not possible based on apparently how it was used back in 1963, and it's still used the same way today. Economic equality and economic redistribution. That was 1963. This guy's writing that. I thought it was this was this. 
I mean, outside of, of Marxism, I thought it was like this, this new idea, this, this sort of new vernacular, this new concept cleverly created by the same people who have been pushing the old, the old types of uh, uh, Marxist notions and whatnot. But it's not. This has been around for a while. Before I was born, my parents were just young pups. <laughs> okay, something to remember, right? If somebody is, you know, calling themselves a social justice warrior, ask him what justice is. What is justice? They're going to contradict themselves at some point. They're going to contradict themselves. They're going to say equal distribution of wealth or something like that, right? And you're, and the obvious follow-up question is, is how does that happen? Well, we use the law. We use government. We use coercion. We use aggression is what it'll come down to, right? And you just, you just ask them, what, how does using aggression against peaceful people, how does that square with this notion of justice? How is that just? And they're going to make up some bullshit about, oh, well, they have more and it's not fair. And that's it. It's just, it's just an arbitrary matter of opinion. It's just, they just don't think it's fair. That's it. And they, and they want to use force. They want to use force in the pursuit of making it fair. Okay, let's go to the last one. This is by Mahatma Gandhi. He says, or he wrote, one who uses coercion is guilty of deliberate violence. Coercion is inhuman. Now, I don't, I don't know exactly, precisely what he means by coercion. And some people would say, well, coercion is necessary if we are uh, going to defend our, our persons and our property. We can split hairs, but I probably wouldn't call that coercion. It's definitely force. It's definitely violence. But it, I don't know that it qualifies as coercion because coercion strikes me as something that is initiatory, not retaliatory. Okay? It's this idea of aggression, right? What is aggression? And what you'll find from, I don't, you know, I'm mostly familiar with libertarian conceptions of this, is that aggression is the initiation of force against a, a peaceful person or their property. It's not retaliatory force. It's not defending yourself with violence, with force. That's not aggression. That's, that's defense. That's a response to someone else's aggression. And I, th I would say that coercion is either the act of aggression or the threat of aggression, right? If I, if I just issue the threat that I'm going to force you or I'm going to what amounts to aggression against you, that is coercion. Right, coercion is the threat and it's the act. It's both of them. Aggression is just the act, the initiation of force. Coercion is the threat to initiate force and the initiation of force. So it's a little bit more encompassing. So that's kind of how that's kind of how I conceive of the idea of coercion in my mind. It's not defensive. It's not protective. It's not res res uh, a response. It's not retaliatory. So one who uses coercion is guilty of deliberate violence. Right, you are deliberately threatening violence against me, a peaceful person who has done nothing to you or anyone else. What gives you the goddamn right to do that? Nothing can possibly give you the right to do that. Ergo, you're simply just behaving criminally. You are a threat to me. You are a danger to me. You are a criminal. That's what a criminal is. Truly, that's what a criminal is. That's what a real criminal is, is somebody who engages in coercion. And if you're not engaged in coercion, then you're not a criminal, right? If you're, if you're peacefully smoking your own legitimately purchased or grown marijuana in the privacy of your own home or a friend's home or a 
some place that you've been given permission to be by the owner, then you are not committing a crime. You're not a criminal. Now, if you come into my house and you you start smoking and blowing it all over my house and I'm protesting against that, obviously I now consider you a trespasser. Now you are a criminal. But if I invite you in and we sit down together and we smoke a bowl together, you're not a criminal. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it, including coercive third parties like government. They are completely stepping outside of their bounds when they criminalize, uh, which means they, they prohibit or they make illegal according to their own arbitrary positivist law, peaceful activity. Those laws are always and everywhere unjust, like Thomas Jefferson said, and we are right to ignore them or disobey them. When government engages in coercion, they are not, they are not acting humanely. They are inhuman. They are worse, in my opinion. They are absolutely the scum of the earth, people who engage in coercion. All right, that's it. This is the last episode of 2020. This is the year that I started recording regularly again, and I've recorded dozens and dozens and dozens of episodes on this podcast and my other one. So if you've been here a while, thank you. Thank you for listening. I would like to get to know you. I would like to chat with you and let you tell me your story about how you found liberty and what you think, you know, how, how far that how far that goes for you. Um, I want to get to know you. So come chat with me on the right, ha- right hand side of everythingvoluntary.com. Just click the link, schedule here. It's very simple. I've had a lot of, lot of very interesting conversations this year with a lot of very interesting folks. A lot of returning folks, people that come back and have conversations with me regularly. I love that. I think the one I've talked to the most would be my friend Alex, Alex Knight III. Um, he's been back a, a, a few times, pretty much monthly. And I like that. I like that. He, he likes coming and just sort of talking, <laughs> talking to another like-minded individual and getting out what he wants to. And I like, I like doing the same. So if you feel like you don't have somebody to talk to about these ideas, maybe you're not satisfied with what you're able to express on social media or with your friends and family. Jot down a few ideas and sign up. Let's have a chat. You, you tell me what you think and then I'll, you know, I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> Not in an antagonistic way, but look, I want to I want to know what you think. We'll just have a conversation. My podcasts are not these hardline strict interviews, right? I'm not Tom Woods. I like to think that I'm a bit more Joe Rogan than Tom Woods. I'll ask questions and I'll try to keep the conversation going, but it's in it's an informal chat. That's what it is. All right, that's it. Happy New Year. I hope whatever happened with you in 2020, I hope that 2021 is better for you. Knock on wood. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember, don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. And just as important, don't ask permission. Have a good day. Please send your comments and questions to everythingvoluntary at gmail.com. Please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash EBC. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary. Will you do us a big favor? Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? That really helps. And one more thing, please share the podcast with your friends. We really appreciate it.